Hot Rod Lincoln, baby. Welcome to the Five to Go, episode one at 47. And we're beginning our fifth playoffs together as a podcast. Of course, the playoff system been around in some shape since 2004, but we a new one dawns here in 2021 for NASCAR's Cup Series. Doug Fireball Turnbull from the Traffic Team at 95.5 WSB. I'm part of PRN's on-air team when I get the chance, and I do have one more race at the Roval later on in the playoffs this year. Eric Von Hessler, the host of the Daily Von Hessler Doctrine, he's going to try to jump on later here as we have an abbreviated episode. My full-time job calls a little bit earlier today. But joining us on the line, the man and the master shop of speed in Dawsonville, Georgia, enjoying a little bit of fall-like conditions today in the North Georgia mountains. Dan Elliott, how you doing? Doing great. Yep, I'm not like you, Doug. I don't I don't like that 112-degree summertime weather with humidity higher. So I'm enjoying today. I, I like this a lot better. The the only downside of this is is what a lot of people are suffering through since Ida came through and and I hate it for all these people because this is not what you want to be doing rebuilding or trying to pull your life together after a storm of of that size. No, for sure. And I mean we see it it seems like multiple times a year, but something the magnitude of Ida especially how much rainfall it had, not not even as much the winds, the rainfall. It's hard for us to grasp because by the time something like that shows up here in Georgia, where we record from and where we live, it just doesn't have the punch that it has when you're right on the coast. And, I mean, New Orleans is below sea level in a lot of those places. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, a, a heavy rain could be tough, just one storm, but to have a whole hurricane is rough. So our, our big-time prayers go out to everybody on the Gulf Coast and a little bit inland that were the worst affected by this. Fortunately, the loss of life count is very low. Uh, but, I mean, there, there's talk that in New Orleans, they may be without power for as long as a month. I can't even imagine that. You know, I mean, I, even a day seems like too long. So they've gotten some of the city back on, but it could be as much as a month for some people. And that's hard to believe in our society that that could happen. But when everything happens at once and you're already short in the workforce, it can. Uh, Texas Motor Speedway opened up its campgrounds, by the way, as they've done in the past and as other racetracks have, too, including Atlanta Motor Speedway, two evacuees from the Gulf Coast impacted by Ida. So a tip of the hat to Texas Motor Speedway for doing it. We need to talk, uh, Dan, we pretty much said a five to go. It's almost like three to go today. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could cover, but I think uh, especially knowing your history with super speedway racing and at Daytona and Talladega and just your analysis of it, your acumen as a mechanic and as a race fan, uh, Dan, you, you definitely have some strong opinions, I think, about some of the stuff we saw in Daytona. So I want to talk about Daytona. We want to preview as best we can in the short time we have today, the playoffs. And we got to give a little what the F1 happened on Sunday. Eric Von Hessler not able to join us for that. In fact, he just told us he will not be able to jump on today. But that, that quite a debacle in Spa in Belgium. But let's get to Daytona first. What was the Firecracker 400, Dan, is now a late August race that ends NASCAR's regular season. And there were at least some elements from Saturday night's race won by Ryan Blaney, his second win in a row, by the way, that didn't sit well with you, Dan. So can you kind of break that down best you can? Well, I'm not going to say that uh, we, we didn't talk about this very much. So it, it's not that it didn't sit well with me. It's just the fact that I wish the outcome would have been different to where that I, I knew when Chase got out front and I knew that the closing rate of cars that were tag teamed together. And, and this is where I thought it would be different at 
in the race is that teams would, team drivers would get together because I still feel like Hendricks has the best cars going, especially Daytona and Talladega. And if those cars that look like had a teamed up together, they could run away from the field. But once Chase got away and then you had the closing rate of the next couple of cars, I, I knew that was going to be a bad scenario anyway. And, and it ended up being one. And when you're sitting there, kind of like a sitting duck and these other cars run you down and you're trying to block, it's, it's not going to end up pretty anyway. Right. And so Chase Elliott, I think even Chase, you heard him say on his radio, sorry guys, that I, I don't think there's any doubt that his block there is what caught, you know, what, what ripped the continuum, so to speak, and caused the big wreck that put things under a red flag, right? There's no doubt about it. But if you're Chase, you have two choices. You can let them go by you on the top and lose, or you can take a, a move that you wouldn't take necessarily if it was the middle of stage one or, or 50 laps to go in the race. You've got to take a high-risk move because the, the ROI, the return on investment there, is a lot higher if it's successful. And if you're wrong, I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, and, well, and it figured, seemed like I they both were going to save it too, because I mean, they both were so squirrely when they when Chase first slotted up in front of Matt Benedetto there. It almost seemed like maybe all they would lose is some track position, but they just couldn't get it handled in the course in the wall, and and away they go. Yeah, I, th- I think that with the number of laps left, and as good as the Hendrick cars were, I feel like even if Chase had have gotten past that he could have run those cars back down. There was enough time to do that, and I really didn't see the need. And and I don't know who makes that call. I don't know if the driver makes that call or the spotter makes that call on blocking. I don't know who does that because, obviously, the driver can't see very much behind him, obviously. But no matter if it was Chase or another driver, I don't think that would have made any difference whatsoever. I think anyone out front would have done the same thing as far as blocking and would have probably gotten the same results as what happened. I I don't think that's the issue. It's just the way that the rules have changed. The rules set up these scenarios, and then the drivers or teams then take it from there to choose whether they block, whether they let Pisces go on, however they choose to race. But you and I both know it's as close to the end as that was, everyone was going for broke. Well, for sure. And and that's what made it exciting. So uh, that so Ryan Blaney wins the race. Chris Buescher disqualified from second after a track bar mount that was improper. And, uh, the, you know, Dan, you and I talked a little bit before the podcast here. How in the world could a track bar mount be legal before the race and illegal after. And that, and you, you asked that question, and I thought it was a great one. And it, and actually, Freddie Kraft, who's Bubba Wallace's spotter, addressed that on the Dirty Mo Media Door, Door Bumper Clear podcast. And he said that NASCAR's wised up to what engineers are doing, who are very wise, and they've been building the track bar mounts lower and lower and lower so that they could grind on the racetrack a little bit during the race and make the back of the car lower. So Chris Busher's was in NASCAR's eyes, apparently particularly egregious. It was drawing sparks behind the fifth third bank Ford, number 17. And I think NASCAR decided, you know what? This is one that's just gone a little bit too far. There's a little bit of tolerance built in for how much 
It could change, and his went too far. My my question to you, Dan, is do you think NASCAR finds that same problem if Chris Buescher, who, again, finished second and almost won the race, does, do they find that same problem if he wins his way into the playoffs? And I have trouble believing that. That's It seems like that story would be too good for them to officiate the same way. But I, how would I know? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. You know, without seeing this and seeing exactly what they're doing, I can't, I can't picture in my mind what they're doing as far as either lowering the car. Did they, did they lower the car too much during the race to cause the track bar mount to drag? If, if that be the case, you know, if we knew more about it, we, we might be able to judge more about what's going on, but it just makes no sense to me because if it's too low, then you know that that's going to drag anyway. It, it's kind of like putting it's like putting the measuring stick under the car before the race starts. If it's already low, it's going to drag, and and that's that was kind of one of the things that that we had talked about at the, at the racetrack at Gresham is that there's only so low you can get a car, and it's going to drag. And once the car starts dragging then you're going to scrub off speed. You're not going to run as fast if the car is dragging. And you run the risk of getting the car out of shape if it does drag and maybe wrecking yourself. So, you know, I I don't know what this is all about, and I don't know that we exactly understand all that the engineers are trying to do to get these cars lower on the racetrack and what problems that's causing, but obviously it ruffled the feathers of the inspectors at NASCAR yeah. because because I would venture to guess as as you that there are other people doing this also and they didn't like this so well. So I guess they may be the examples for the rest and the fact that you're getting ready to go into the playoffs and they probably said enough's enough, we're gonna nip this in the bud. Uh, yeah, for sure. And that's the, it could have been a message sender too. And what better message yep. to send than from the person that finished second as opposed to uh, if he had won the race or, or if he had finished 17th or something? Cause uh, there are probably other people that are doing it as well. Good insight there from you, Dan. And Daytona, some people said, man, wh- why is that the regular season ender? It was just a couple of years ago. Talladega was a round ender in the playoffs. It used to be the end of round two and they flip flopped with the Roval race. And, that, and I thought that was a good point when I initially heard it, but thinking closer about it, it, Daytona is one out of 26 races, and anybody in the top 30 in points can make the playoffs. A Talladega playoff race that is at the end of a round is one of only three races with all, where, where drivers that are in the playoffs can get knocked out very inadvertently. Yeah, it, It's a little bit of a different measuring stick I think on the two and so I, I'm I don't know about you Dan I'm okay with Daytona despite the close quarters and the random results for a lot of people because they just get caught in other people's stuff I'm okay with it being a regular season ender because of the idea that so many different people that's one of only a few races a year they could ever win and this could be the, and it's right before the playoffs start that they could put themselves in it what do you think well you're you're getting yourself in a situation to where you and I both know that there are cars this year that you can somewhat ride off. In other words, if if you lose a car at Daytona, but you've still got Talladega coming up. So you, you, you can't really say that 
if you're in the playoffs, which, you know, most everybody is, and, and here you sit with a field of crumpled race cars for the most part, and you've still got Talladega yet to go. Right, yeah. Well, I think I think definitely having the uh, having that number of race cars be up. I mean, it, it certainly there was a level where it, it, a win at, at Daytona in race 26 means more than a win at Talladega per se. If you're a non-playoff team and, and race 30 something later in the season or whatever it is, whichever no, number. God, it is. I'd I'd say if you took a race car home from Daytona, you were a winner. If you just took a car home in one piece. Yeah. Because this this year is a different story to what next year is going to be with the Gen Seven car, Absolutely. and and you can't you can't go into these races assuming that you're going to lose a car every time you run Daytona, losing a car every time you run Talladega, and now maybe you might be losing a car every time you run Atlanta. Depending on how it shapes up, Atlanta could be the same way there, and you know and. I do wonder what that dynamic will be at Atlanta Motor Speedway come March. By the way, I flew over the track last week in our traffic helicopter, the WSB Skycopter, and there's still a couple of paved pieces of the track left, but they have largely begun the work in the turns over there and are actually, uh, you know, scraping scraping the dirt out of the turns to add the four degrees of banking and everything and, and narrow it up. So it's really going to be something to see there. And it was interesting to fly above it and look at it. All right. So Dan, that that's the pass. So we got one super speedway race left. That will be in the playoffs there and certainly provide a chance for somebody in desperation mode to win a race, especially if they're a playoff driver. I want to look at the drivers that are in the playoffs and Dan, just kind of get your overall who you're feeling is not going to make a deep play- playoff run, and who you're feeling maybe maybe could win the championship or at least make a deep run. So let's start with some drivers we're down on right now. The, your playoff drivers, by the way, just to state them to everybody, because there are 16, that's a lot to remember. Tyler Reddick outlasted Austin Dillon to make the playoffs, but in order they go 16th, Kevin Harvick, yikes, 16th, can you believe that? The only driver without any playoff points, Kevin Harvick. 15th, Tyler Reddick, then Eric Almarola, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, William Byron, Denny Hamlin, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson enters the playoffs, by the way, with a 28-point lead over Martin Truex Jr., hence the, the fact that he has 37 playoff points. Plays into that. So, Dan, I mean, I know I threw a bunch of names out there, but who are some people that you're just not feeling like you think could even make it out of the first round? Let's say. Well, let me let me just make it easier here. Let me just see if I can simplify this. Please. Um. Um. How many of the how many of the Hendrick drivers are in the playoffs? All four. All four. Okay. I think it's going to be, as I said, from the with with the strength I see of that organization, still from just before midseason on, I think they flexed their muscle, and I think that you have to know that it's going to be the Hendrick organization versus everybody else, and those four cars, and you can drop that to probably. I feel two drivers capable of pulling off a championship. And who would that be? <laughs> Take a guess there, Dougie. I mean, the two best running of the Hendrick Four are Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott. 
That's it. It's hard to pick against them. It seems like the championship is definitely going to go through the best of Hendrick and the best of Gibbs. Just because even though Ryan Blaney enters third seeded in the playoffs and is tied for the second most wins with Truex Jr. with three, and he has been ace ever since Pocono, really, in, in the middle of June. But it seems like overall the the body of work favors Gibbs and favors Hendrick Motorsports more. Uh, so we isolated maybe who out of the Hendrick stable we think could do best. Who out of the Gibbs stable do you think has the most momentum or the best chance here to make a deep playoff run or to get to Phoenix maybe? I think you've got the possibility of all any of the three drivers in the Gibbs deal being able to pull it off. And, so you mean Truex, um, Hamlin, and Kyle Busch, and not yep, uh, and not Christopher Bell. No. Okay. I don't. I just, I just, I'm just not feeling it, and I'm and I'm not slighting him in any manner. I'm just not feeling it because here's the deal. To me, this this to me is what is the most important thing is the fact that. Who of the Gibbs drivers have won championships? Uh, yeah, I mean, three of the four. Oh, no, two of the okay. four. Uh, Denny Hamlin is not. <laughs> right, and and he's still hungry for a championship, and that's why I'm including him in this deal. And also, too, he has been very consistent up until probably Daytona Harvick, which was not of his own doing anyway. So. You've got factors that that we're looking at here that may rear their ugly heads, yeah. but it, it's kind of like to me, like Daytona was a Hendrick car should have won Daytona, and I think that had the had the scenario ended up a little bit different to where that those four players had teamed up against the field and been able to hook together and run more together, the outcome would have been completely different. Uh, for sure. I mean, there was a lot of teamwork on the Chevy side. The Toyotas are less in number, and they had some teamwork issues there, at least according to Bubba Wallace. The Fords were uh, very much in hand, and, and they made – I mean, that, really, that's what won Ryan Blaney the race and got in the trap position was yeah. them decided to pit earlier. So uh, really good to see the strategy there. And, yeah, I think Hendrick could have had more to say, but then – the, there's the wreck that took out William Byron, and then soon it was everybody. So, all right, uh, moving on for Daytona and, and the, the playoffs, I want to say uh, it's easy to count out a Michael McDowell, maybe Kurt Busch, Eric Almarola, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick. It's hard seeing him make a deep run. I haven't been impressed with Alex Bowman, frankly, even though he has a lot of top tens. His average finish is kind of low. It just doesn't seem like he has a lot of speed. But another driver, too, that has – Fewer good finishes this year than we would think. Is Brad Keselowski as good and consistent as he was a year ago? Only ten top tens this year. It's tough for me to imagine him outrunning enough drivers to get into the round of eight. But all he has to do is win a race, and that could change it all. And as easy as it is to throw dirt on Kevin Harvick, Harvick does have the second most top ten finishes. He's tied with Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott with sixteen this year. Even though he's entering 16th, he's also only three points out of the top 12 because the playoff points are so close. Some drivers just don't have that many. So I would count on Kevin Harvick maybe getting at least past round number one, if not round number two. But I don't see him outrunning enough drivers to, unless he does something with strategy and wins Martinsville or something well, like Tony, that. Or does, Tony Stewart, Tony Stewart's done elaborated on the fact that, that they've got issues they got to get corrected. Right. 
and I, and I agree with that. I, there, the, there's something not right about that deal, right. and until they get that resolved, I I just don't see it being a championship. They're going to run good, but I just I, I don't see a championship. Well, exactly. They don't have the speed, but again. They, if they do something strange with strategy, that they could win a race to get yep. to another round. Yep. Also, I think they can run fast enough or just eke out finishes well enough to get past maybe round one or round two. I could see Harvick sneaking into the round of eight, but I don't see him when it takes pretty much having to win a race to win the championship. I don't see that necessarily happening on speed. All right. That, that's sort of my prediction. It's pretty, pretty wide open there. And, and we mentioned the drivers that they could struggle. Then there's ones in the middle. It's hard to, pin down who Denny Hamlin or William Byron really is this season or Joey Logano. They all seem to have brilliant moments and then just seem to be invisible at the same time. So we'll, we'll have to see how it plays. All right. One thing, one last thing, this is more of a rant thing and I've only got like a minute or two here, Dan, but at formula one returned after their two or three weeks, summer break to spa in Belgium, terrible weather. We, criticized NASCAR for not being able to race well in the rain. Well, Formula One did not give it the country try, really. They kept waiting and waiting for conditions to improve. It was similar to Circuit of the Americas, I think, what NASCAR dealt with in Austin in the Cup Series race. And they pretty much, to make it an official race, they only ran two or three laps under caution, green slash yellow, that is. And then they pulled them into the pits, and the weather never, never improved. And since the race was run between two and uh, between two laps and 75%, it counted as an official race. <laughs> and Max Verstappen won. George Russell, the Williams driver, who hardly, I mean, has gotten points only like once or twice in his career. George Russell ended up finishing second because he qualified second, and Lewis Hamilton was third, and they were only awarded half points in the race. So there you go, Dan. How does that uh, figure into your debacles over there? And if you were a fan, would you want your money back? I would definitely want my money back because, as as we've talked about, we we've known each other for a long time, and and this this stuff does not set well with me when you don't give people an opportunity to show what they've got, and right. nobody got to show anything. No, you, you would have thought they could at least postpone it today. And I know the logistics is totally yep. different in Formula One and being international, but that uh, there, the money it costs to go to a Formula One race, take the hotel out of it, is like five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars a ticket. It, it, it's it, exorbitant, and fans really got burned there. Lewis Hamilton taking to social media afterwards to say as much. So, anyway, well, Dan, thank you this, so much. Look at this. Look at this from an owner's standpoint of how much money you may have lost on sponsorship for next year because of how you finished. And and for people that weren't vying for the championship, they are still vying for sponsorship. Right. Yeah, and, and like the second-place finishing team of Williams, which, by the way, is about to lose George Russell and is wondering where they're – Funding is going to come from. Hey, just want to mention a couple of quick silly season hits before I run away. Uh, number one is that Starcom Racing has sold their charter to Spire Motorsports. Spire had sold their two, two of their three charters to Colleg Racing <laughs> uh, earlier in this year, and now Spire has bought Starcom Racing's charter, and it's rumored that Starcom is going to shut down. Kurt Busch has joined 2311 Racing. They debuted that, and the numbers were forward on the race car, not in the center of the door, which set a lot of people off. Off, but expect that as NASCAR pretty much 
that got leaked out. And so NASCAR had to say, yeah, next year we're moving the numbers forward. And that ticked a lot of people off. Xfinity Series, Noah Gregson returning to Junior Motorsports for a third season, the number nine car. Or a fourth season. Is it a fourth season in the nine car? I lost count. Yeah, fourth season in the nine car. And then JTG Doherty Racing, they had one charter this year but two teams. Brad Doherty said during the playoff media day or during media availability that they will only run one car next year. So either Ricky Stenhouse Jr. or Ryan Priest. Probably the latter, by the way, is out of a ride and going into the offseason. And we still don't know with Front Row Motorsports what they're going to look like next year. If they're going to be one team or two, Michael McDowell and the team have had talks. So there's your a lot of silly season stuff to chew on there, Dan. And any last parting shots yeah. for you before I run? Yeah, I'm anxious to talk to David Reagan after the tire test because is it eight teams that's tire testing with the Gen 7 car? Uh, yeah, there's, it's coming up in Daytona, I think it's the next week. Uh, yeah, they're going to have a, a variant. So I think it's about eight different cars that are tested at Daytona. Yes, sir. Yep. I'm, I'm curious to see what David has to say. If, if indeed they let these cars get together any at all and run in a pack or if they just let them go out and run individually. And, I, and I'm curious to see what the outcome of this test is. I would think you've got to let them at least run single file to get an idea of what, what the speeds could be like there. Because by themselves, yeah, that, that's going to prove the real tire wear. Of course, there's almost zero tire wear, it seems like, in Daytona right now. So that's a good question. We do need to get David on here. I, I mentioned that to him recently. I said, we need to get you on to talk about he's someone who's made a lot of laps in that new car. I can tell you the new car is something like two or three seconds slower at Bristol. Christopher Bell tested it a few weeks ago. There's some good video on the NASCAR social media and YouTube channels of that. Uh, that the new car is a lot slower at Bristol, like something like 17 seconds, which is hard to believe. So, how how that plays at bigger tracks, we shall see. Well, Dan, thanks for jumping on today. Eric von Hessler got pulled into a meeting right before this; he couldn't join us. We'll look forward to hearing from him soon. And thank you all for listening to Five to Go. We'll catch up with you after Darlington. Have a wonderful, wonderful Labor Day weekend. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.